All right, guys, this morning we've been in a series speaking about the love of the Father. It's kind of an accidental series. Um, we started some weeks ago before Ian and Adi were with us and just felt like as I preached on the love of the Father, something of the Spirit was among us and just felt like something we wanted to carry on doing. So we've just kind of lent into it and this will be our last one on this series before we go into our Advent Christmas series. Um, but it's just been such a precious time for me to reflect on this love and to realize just again freshly how foundational the love of the Father is. But this morning, I'm speaking on a, on a really uh, tricky word, the, the O word. The O word, right? This is like a four-letter word in our culture. Obedience, when we speak about obedience. It's like the word sin and guilt. Who, who feels great when you say the word sin or guilt? Our culture deal with that by minimizing everything, by saying, no, no, you didn't really do anything wrong. No, let's change the boundaries around sin. It's not actually sin. You can just do that and it's fine. You, you make your own truth, right? It's not sin anymore. No, no, it's just your truth. It's different to my truth, but it's your, okay, you get me. Submission. Who, I mean, who would have thought vaccine would be a swear word? Vaccine, for goodness sake. This morning, I want to reclaim the important biblical word that's getting an incredibly hard time in our culture, which is obedience. And I want to do it by pointing us to the most wonderful truths that we can see in God's word. Because I know that when I say this word, it evokes emotion for us. Because by definition, obedience means someone else calling the shots. Right? That's what, it, that's what it is. Someone else calling the shots. Someone else holding authority, another four-letter word in our culture, holding authority over me. In our individually driven culture, that is a hard sell. I'm nervous to preach in this context, right? In our culture, this individualistic driven culture says, no, thank you very much, I'll do it. Exactly, Warren. I'll do it my way. We say, who are you to tell me what I should do? Right? Just my friends. And of course, at the same time, I want to just off the bat just say, of course, there's legitimate allergies to authority. Of course, we've seen abuse of authority. We've seen it in the church. We've seen it in politics. You've seen it in your own family. We've seen it in our own lives. Of course, there are legitimate allergies to these things, but I'm convinced that we're not just, even as Christians, we're not just responding to the legitimate allergies. We're also responding culturally. The pendulum has swung so far to some kind of self-governance and autonomy, and I will do it my way, that we're not even anywhere close to being in the center of God saying, no, I want you to learn to be submissive to authority. I want you to learn to obey me. Children, obey your parents because if you love your kids, you're going to teach them to obey. And we're going to get there just now. So my goal in us, this is my stated goal for this morning, is, is a really tough one. I'm trying to stir in you a desire for obedience. That you leave this morning going, man, I am longing to try this out. I'm longing to have fresh legs for obedience in God's kingdom. Not just a, oh, okay, I guess I'll give it a go. I'll try. Like a, like a deep excitement and anticipation as we see the beauty of obedience in light of God's desires for us. And so that's a tough gig. And I want to just pray. Holy Spirit, as we 
speak about the O word, obedience, would you come and in our cultural mishmash mess of this word, would you come and show us how you intended to be so beautiful, how you intended to be so freeing, how you intended to be so wonderful, where all our antibodies put up warning signs around abuse and authority and obedience and these words that are just so countercultural for us. More than, more than ever, Lord, we need you to show us in your word. We need you to reveal through the power of the Holy Spirit the beauty of it because it just doesn't make natural sense to us, Lord. And we ask that you would do this in your name. Amen. As we've been preaching on the love of the Father, we started out just speaking about how much He loves you. Guys, you can go and listen to it again if you've forgotten. Go and read your word. But God's love for us is it's hard to overstate. It really is. It's hard to get our head around just how much God loves you, God loves me, and God loves us as a community who believe and follow Him. God's love is unbelievable. But then we also began to speak about God's power and his might and what good is love what good is someone who who loves their child but is powerless to do anything or on the on the converse what good is it if someone is so powerful but is completely unloving that's dreadfully dangerous and so this this aspect of God being both powerful and loving is so vital to understand both of those things and then last week we began to speak more about well, how do we respond if God loves us like this with this great enduring love well then what do we do in response to this love and he says as Riley so helpfully preached on last weekend as I have loved you so you love others and there's, there's kind of two big buckets of how we respond to the love of God in scripture and that's the first one because you've received the love of God so go and love one another so and go and love others the other one surprisingly is actually because you've received the love of God be obedient now man that can sound so religious and we're going to dig into that as we go through this morning but the, the verse is there if we love him there's lots of verses around this but if you love him you will obey him that's the, the concept. So what is obedience? Well, it's the giving over of our will to another. It's saying, I choose to do what you choose over what I choose. Okay, just keep that in your mind. The giving over of my will to another. Someone else tells us what to do and we do that. And here's the crazy part for our culture. We do that irrespective of whether we agree or not. That's the test for obedience and a lot of obedience a lot of stuff which masquerades as obedience today it goes something like this I want you to do this well can you explain to me why can you tell me what it looks like can you can you convince me that that's a good idea and when we convinced thoroughly enough then we go okay of course I'll obey no no no. you're not obeying you're agreeing you've been convinced so now you go well that doesn't look like a good idea but you convinced me now it does look like a dear a good idea or a deer. Um, so I will, I will do this. I will, I will agree with you. But this is a concept that we have to understand very clearly from Scripture, that obedience is a different concept to agreement. We are not owed an explanation. Now, obviously, you push that into a broken, fallen, sinful world, and it starts to get complex. 
with abuse and all of those things. And I've already referred to some of those things. So let's take an example. Look in your work environment. Your boss says to you, you've had a really long week, you're tired, and your boss says, I want this spreadsheet. And you and your mind are going, this spreadsheet is pointless. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make any difference. But your boss said you need to do the spreadsheet. So what do you do? You disagree with your boss. But you do that in your head, hopefully. And you do the spreadsheet because your boss is holding legitimate authority over you, right? If you don't, you're probably gonna lose your job and go and tell all your friends about how hopeless the spreadsheet was that your boss wanted you to do. If your coworker who has no authority over you decides to try and force you to do a spreadsheet after a long week that's really not necessary and you don't need to do, hopefully you're gonna just tell them to get lost. Right, because there's not, there's not legitimate authority. And so authority and obedience, these concepts run hand in hand. But it's doing something that, that is not our own will, it's not what we want to do. And there's lots of these illegitimate things that, that can come in and, and cause confusion here. But friends, when, when we understand, and here becomes the important link for you today, when we understand who God is, this is why it's linked to love, when we understand the love of the Father, when we understand how much He loves us, then it makes it easy to go, okay, I trust you, and I respond in obedience. Does that make sense? We respond to the authority of God because we trust God. We trust that God understands more than I do about my life, that God wants me to flourish more than I want to flourish myself for my own life. And so out of that place, we respond. And so can you see how it's impossible to obey unless you trust the heart of God? If you do not trust God, if you do not know His love, if you do not walk in His love, if you don't understand this lavish love that the Father is pouring over us again and again and again, I I tell you now that if you obey Him, it will be out of some religious duty and it will kill you. And your faith will be dead and you will be exhausted. And all those words are not happy words. They are horrible words. It's only as we trust the hand and the heart of the Father that we can obey Him. There's a, a saying one of my friends um, some, while, some time ago, another pastor friend said, and it just, it just resonated with me, with me, said when you can't trace the hand of the Father, you can always trust His heart. When you don't understand what He's doing, when you can't trace His hand, when it doesn't make sense, you can trust His heart. This is this idea. So I've got two big ideas today. This is the first one. We obey because we are loved, not so that we are loved. That's my first big idea. We obey because we are loved, not so that we are loved. Now, just so you know that I'm not getting this out of my own head, we're going to turn to Scripture. We're actually going to look at a bunch of Scriptures today. I want to set a clear biblical view between this idea of God's love and his expectation that we obey him. Those two things running parallel. Let's go to John chapter 15 and verse 9. I'll read it for you. I'm in the NRV at the moment. It says, as the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Jesus speaking, okay? I want you to, you, you've got to focus in on this a little bit. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. The context of the scripture is you are loved. This is what Jesus is saying. I've loved you. The Father's loved me. I've experienced the love of the Father and now I'm loving you. 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now I want you to remain in my love. Well, of course you do. Of course he does. Of course he wants us to remain in his love. If it's good for us, he wants us to remain in his love. Then he says, if, which means it's a question. You can or you might, you might not. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. So what's he saying? He's saying obedience is linked to love. If you obey my commands, you will stay in my love. But remember, he's already said, I love you. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. So now you can keep my commands because you know my love. And if you keep my commands, oh, you're going to stay in my love. All right? Now, before it sounds like religious duty, just keep on reading because Jesus is, even Jesus has obeyed the Father's commands. He's not, he's saying, do what I've done and I experience the love of the Father. And then he says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Have you ever heard obedience taught with joy? This is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is saying, guys, I want you to get this because when you get this, you're going to be so full of joy. It's going to be complete. It's going to be coming up all out, all out of you. You're going to be so joyful that you did what I asked you to do. It's not how obedience often feels in, in our home environment. I wish I could model this better to my children. Just do it because I'm your dad. And I'm tired and I've got a long week, Okay. I wish I could model, hey man, I want you to obey this because your joy is going to be complete, boy. It's going to be bubbling over. It's going to be so wonderful if you just learn. You get it? When we, when we grasp something of this love of the Father for us, this joyful obedience begins to flow out of our hearts. We can't help it. Jesus carries on. He says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Riley touched on this, spoke on this last week. Greater love has no one than to lay down his life for his friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. In other words, there's an implication that almost like our friendship is proved by our obedience, but these things run like parallel to each other. So because we're loved, we're able to obey, but because we obey, we also show God that we love him. It's like also the test that makes sense? Let's go John 1, 1 John, verse, 1 John 5 verse 3. It's so clear. Loving God means keeping his commandments. You put that on your fridge. Such a simple verse. I mean, how much, clear, how much clearer could the apostle John be? Loving God means keeping his commandments. And then look at the little follow-up. And his commandments are not burdensome. What's he saying? Joy. Joy. These are not meant to be religious dry duties. It's an overflow of thankfulness for what God has already done for us. Let's do one more verse here. John 14 verse 23. Jesus replied, all who love me will do, obedience, will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. What a beautiful picture. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey. And remember, Jesus says, these words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I think it's, I mean, I could, we could, I could have carried on with so many more scriptures. The love 
and obedience. Love and obedience. Obey my commands. If you love me, you obey my commands. Because you understand my love, you obey my commands. This way around, you're looking at the, the diamond from that side. That way around, you're looking at it from the other side. Same thing, different vantage point. Right? This is how we love. This is how we understand and we are obedient to God. Friends, I want to tell you the big idea again. It's incredibly important. Write it down if you're a note taker. The big idea is we obey because we are loved. Not so that we are loved. Oh, it's a, it, looks, it looks so similar. It's so hard, even in our own hearts sometimes, it's so hard to spot the difference between whether I'm loving, because, whether I'm obedient because I'm loved, or whether I'm obedient because I'm trying to, to be loved. Sometimes it's such a, a mixed stream, it feels like the salty water and the fresh water are coming out of the same stream in my heart. I'm like, Lord, I, I know I'm loved, but I also feel like I need to prove that I'm worthy of love. And they're just coming out of the same stream. The point is this, it's a love response, obedience is a love response. It's, it's going, look at what you've done for me, Father. Look at how much you love me. I trust you, Father. And because of those things, I respond in obedience. Versus, I have to earn the love of the Father. He's going to be angry if I don't do this. I have to work to be obedient, to show myself worthy. And the angle on this is everything. I, I came across, a, a friend actually posted this on on the Instagram recently. But won't you just throw up that, that, yeah, that one about religion, the next one. Religion says, I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. The gospel says, I messed up. I need to call my dad. The same thing, I messed up, I messed up. But the angle that we come at these things is so massively important. I want to call my dad. My dad knows how to fix this. My dad loves me. My dad has a heart for me. I want to obey my, my dad. Let me ask you, just a little provocative one here. How are you doing this morning? How are you doing in obedience to God? It's so easy to talk about these in big sweeping statements. How are we doing in the nuts and bolts, the practical reading God's word and saying, oh my goodness, look at what this says about forgiveness. That's not what I'm walking in. How does that play out in our lives in terms of obedience? Or we look at God's word and we go, oh, I didn't realize that about my possessions. I'm not supposed to own them like they just for me. I'm actually supposed to share them, supposed to give them to others, supposed to let someone else stay in my holiday home. Right? Anyone? Are we looking? <laughs> not really. But as we read God's word... Does it actually take root in our hearts? Do we actually take stock and go, oh my goodness, I'm in disobedience. I didn't realize it, Lord, but, but I'm not being obedient. Right? This is what Scripture calls us to. It's not mere theory, guys. It's the practice of it. Okay, second big idea. <laughs> if you obey God, you will flourish and live a blessed life. If you obey God, you will flourish and live a blessed life. This is the closest you're ever going to hear me getting to the prosperity gospel. Right? You will flourish and live at the... You know, you know what my problem with the prosperity gospel is? It's not that it, it promises... It's not that it's just an outright lie. 
It's that it's a, it's a distortion of the truth of God. God's word, we're going to go to it in a moment and look through like I think it's six or seven verses, is actually abundantly clear that God wants to prosper us and God wants to bless us and God wants these things for our lives. Where the prosperity gospel gets it so wrong is that they narrow it down to being devoid of obedience. It's just because God loves you and you're amazing and you're just the best thing that ever happened. So God just wants to bless you irrespective of the decisions you make, irrespective of whether you learn obedience or not. That's the one thing that's so horrible about that pretend fake gospel. And the other thing that's so horrible about it is that it narrows down what prosperity looks like into cultural lenses. God's going to make you wealthy, brother. He's going to heal your illness. He's going to give you that big house. That big house, just you tithe properly. Woo! And it narrows, it na- thank you, thank you. There's a toaster under your seat right now, look over there. But it narrows down what prosperity looks like to something that's just actually, we're going to look at it later on. It's a complete pseudo, it's a complete fake blessing. It's not the blessing or the flourishing of God at all. But this is what you need to hear me say. This is the biggest thing I want to say today. Because God loves me, speaking about love and obedience, because God loves me, He desires that I flourish. But the way that He makes me flourish is to tell me how to live my life. He says, this is what makes you flourish. And if we obey this, we will flourish. That's His, that's his promise. Parents, you know that emotion you feel for your child to do well? Like when you long for your child to surpass you or to be greater than anything you've achieved or not to carry the hurts that you've, that you've had to carry or any of these emotions that we feel as parents or if you're not a parent, for a friend or for someone you love, you, you long for them to do well. But that's it's so mixed up with my emotions. I go to like my sports day thing and I watch my son run a race and I'm like, go boy, because I want him to do well. But in there, there's also like, I also want to be great. Go boy, run for dad. You know, it's like this mixed sinful thing going on. When you take that emotion, that's exactly how God feels for us, except without any of the sin, without any of the brokenness. The perfect father desiring that his children flourish. That's a phenomenal thought. And did I mention he's really powerful? (laughs) He's actually able to do things. We flourish when we follow the ways set out by God for us. In other words, we obey Him. When he says, Paul, this is good for your life, I have to respond, yes, Lord, I trust you and I will do that. And now let me just be abundantly clear here, I won't do it that well. When God says, I must be obedient, it's difficult to do it that well. You're going to watch me, if you watch my life and, you, and your friend and your journey with me, you'll see the mistakes, the many mistakes that I'm going to make along the way. And I want to breathe this into us, that we understand that it's a discipleship journey. I, I, I will learn and I will grow, but there's something in my heart. The thing that I'm going for here this morning is that there's a trust in our heart that leaps up in response when God says we see something in His Word or someone challenges us on something and we go, yes, Lord, I'm not going to do it well, but man, I want to do it. 
And when we don't do it well, we don't go, oh my goodness. And we say, Lord, I didn't do it that great, but I still want to do it. Please help me. Please help me. Please help me. Please help me. When God sets boundaries for sexuality and we obey them, here's the crazy part. Even when they don't make sense. When our culture tells us that we're bigoted or we're homophobic or we're this or we're that and we get huge pressure coming back at us from our culture, we've got to know that in those moments we can stand on God's word and we can go, God, I don't even understand this. Maybe even, God, I don't agree with this. But obedience goes beyond understanding. Obedience goes beyond agreement. And we say, Lord, I trust in these things that I can't get my head around. I trust that actually you know what makes us flourish. Not my culture. Not that culture. Not that celebrity. Not even that pastor who's contradicting God's word. You know what makes me flourish. And so we cling to these things. I had a, my pride and joy when I was a student, and man, you, you had to be there to, to appreciate the beauty of this vehicle. Have you ever seen a Fiat Uno? <laughs> Glorious. But this was not an ordinary Fiat Uno. What color would you say that car was, babe? It's like bottle green. Hey? Racing green. That's a good word for it. And it wasn't just an Uno, it was an Uno fire. And it had mag wheels, and I was exceptionally proud. I used to fold myself into this, <laughs> this car and fit my 25 friends, and off we'd go. Like, oh, yeah, we're cool in Peter Maritzburg. Yeah, we're so cool. I used to wash that car because I loved that car, and I was taught to care for things. So I used to wash this car with sunlight liquid. Anyone else use sunlight liquid? You're going to have a revelation this morning. I used to take my dishwashing liquid, and, and it used to sparkle in the Maritzburg sun, just beautiful just out there until one day my paint started peeling and it started peeling on my roof and it started peeling all down up on it and I thought my goodness I've cared for this car like like a child <laughs> and then I went and I read and I, I auto trader and it's very freely available that actually soapy water dishwashing soap is abrasive and actually it destroys your paint I mean if that's what you take from the sermon I hope, I hope it's more. But don't wash your car with that liquid, right? Now, what's my point? My point is that I thought I was doing such a good thing. I thought I was making my car flourish. It looked so great. It was so, such a blessing to my car. Unbeknown to me, I was actually doing damage. I was destroying. I was cheapening. And who could have told me that? The manufacturers of the paint, the creator, the person who made it is the one who tells you how it flourishes. Friends, and I see us so often struggling with this, with this idea of the, of the creator who made us being the one who says, here's how you will be blessed. And we go, but it doesn't make sense. Look how shiny my car looks. It's flourishing. The creator says, I made you, I love you. If you will trust me, I will lead you in paths that lead to blessing and prosperity and joy. But it's probably going to look a little bit different to what you expected. So we, let's carry on. I want to convince you of this, not just with a story about my Uno, but from 
the scriptures, if you obey God, you will flourish and live a blessed life. Friends, I want to challenge you to go and look up obedience in God's word and try and find a verse. There's very few that don't link obedience to reward. Almost all of them is promise and obedience. Obedience and promise in, in that order. So this is, this is Abram in Genesis 22. He's been waiting for his son Isaac for years and years and eventually his son comes, the son of promise, if you know the story. And then Genesis 22 is this shocking insertion. If you're a new believer, it's great because we got used to this in Sunday school and now it's just like, oh yeah, he got asked to kill his son. The first time believers going, what? Genesis 22, that's what's going on. And God says, take your son that I promised to you and go and sacrifice him up on the mountain. I'll tell you what I'm saying. This makes no sense. Your word promises prosperity and blessing. This ain't it. Get behind me, Satan. Right? I'm going to struggle with this. Look, look, Abraham does it. This is, and then as he's standing there with his knife, the Bible is literally like above his son, his son tied up on an altar. I mean, talk about psychology, trauma, help needed for that family. But he's standing there above his son, and then the angel stops him and says, stop, stop. And then he says, this is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son. Can you hear the strains of Jesus coming? You've not withheld your son, your only son. I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. Obedience, blessing. I will multiply your descendants. Why is that important? Well, because Abram was about to kill his one and only descendant, his only son. And God says, because you obeyed me, now I'm going to give you loads of sons, loads of descendants, like the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. Is that just in my head? Can we just ignore it? Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Not just you, not just your son. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. All because you have obeyed me. Obedience leads to flourishing and blessing. We can look at Joshua chapter 1 and verse 7. Joshua teaching the people of Israel. They've just crossed over into the promised land. He says, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law. In other words, obedience that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Who wants good success? I do. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. It's almost like in that verse he's laying out options for us and saying, hey, you choose. Which one do you want? If you obey me, you will make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. Or we go to Psalm 1, the famous psalm. The, it's the quintessential blessed man. It's the psalm about this man who's so blessed that he's like a tree, that when the drought comes and when trouble comes, and just note that trouble will come, even for the blessed man, even for the prosperous man, when trouble comes, his leaves don't wither. And this is how it goes. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Obedience, blessing. Obedience, love. 
These are the, const- these are the constant links in God's word. You, it's not just the Old Testament. You go to the New Testament. Jesus speaks about the man whose house is built on, on sand. And this is Matthew 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. What's that? You got it by now? Will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. I want you to imagine being in this story, right? You're in the house and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. You're afraid, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. James speaks about not just being someone who looks at yourself in the mirror and going away and forgetting. He says, no, the blessed man is the one who looks, who changes, who obeys, and God will bless him. Romans says it even stronger. It says he will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. Those sound like good things, right? Glory, honor, immortality. I want some of those. He will give eternal life, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, which is not obeying the truth, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. God's word is so clear. If you obey God, you will flourish. And you will live a blessed life. I wrote, just for myself, I wrote a list of everything that came out of those verses. All the promises. I'll just read it for you quickly. Blessed. I would just love this. If someone looked on Paul's life, Paul and Kate's family, and they said these things about us, I would be so delighted. Blessed. Wise. Secure in tumultuous times when the rain is falling. Full of joy. Like I started in that text right in the beginning on John abiding in God's love. This is a family marked out by living in the love of God. You can see evidence of the love of God, loved by others, called a friend of Jesus. Jesus says, if you do these things, you will be my friend. Self-aware, James. I want to be a self-aware person who looks in the mirror and realizes I'm doing something wrong and changes. A doer, not a talker. Who loves a talker? I love a doer. An honored person, full of peace, Receiving glory, blessing others far and wide, having success wherever you go, having a prosperous way, a prosperous life. Let me ask you the very obvious question. How come those who seem to hate God often prosper? The Bible is actually full of authors asking exactly the same question. Lord, Why do the wicked prosper? How come they don't obey your commands and they live to an old age? There's one verse that that says, why do they go down to the grave in peace and in old age? And the person is raging against the injustice of these, these people who live like there's no God and then have these seeming prosperous, flourishing lives. And here's what we need to understand. That we not only trust God to make us flourish, but we trust him with what true flourishing looks 
like. Read that again. We don't only trust God to make us flourish. We trust him with what true flourishing looks like. Friends, and when we look in on these examples of people that we could hold up and say their lives look like hashtag blessed, they look like prosperity, they look like, you know, the paper cracks, the cracks are there for all to see. I feel deep sadness for celebrities. Those who are held up in our culture as the prosperous, as the, as the one to achieve, to be like them. When you just scratch, not even a, little, a lot, just a teeny bit on their lives, and you see the number of suicides, and you see the, the amount of drug addiction, and you see the broken families that, that surround the vast majority of these people. And you've got to wonder whether that's real prosperity. You've got to wonder if it's something we should seek. Think about wealthy people. Some of the saddest, most fearful, trying to keep their money all together people. Now, wealth is not bad. We know that. But when we have wealth and we don't have God and we look to that as a prosperity or some kind of sign of prosperity, man, these people are not people I want to emulate. I don't want my life to look like that. I want to trust God for another kind of flourishing. I see some very poor people whose lives look like they're flourishing in a way that I want to be just like them. Make my family like them, God. I look at people and it looks like they have spiritual freedom. They live lives. Will Smith and his wife with their open marriage and other people coming in and out as they please. It's because I love reading the U magazine. And it looks like spiritual freedom. It looks like they can just do whatever they want and believe whatever they want and have their own truth and they just look like they're having fun on their jet skis. Friends, we look at prosperity with such narrow eyes and it's exactly the same as the prosperity gospel. It's not that we promise too much, it's that we promise too little. It's that we dream too small. Is that we dream about one little channel of, of money or fame. And we, we just go in this tiny little channel. And when you look at celebrity, for example, the truly blessed life actually answers these questions. The truly blessed life says, you are enough. God comes and says, what I make matters. You're important because I say you're important, not because some crowds that you have to keep on pleasing say you're important. Celebrity is a complete pseudo-blessedness, a fake blessedness. God comes and says, wealth? Man, you may not be rich, but I'm going to give you something far more precious than earthly jewels. It's called contentment. Contentment, that no matter what you have, that you're able to say, Lord, I trust you. I know you. It gives us the spiritual, when we look at the spiritual decay and confusion, it, it looks like freedom. But Jesus comes and says, I will teach you the way of truth and spiritual life. And you won't be tossed about like an infant in the waves. You won't be like the blind. Jesus uses this metaphor of the blind leading the blind. They sound so clever, but actually they're a fool. No idea of spiritual things. I hope I've stirred your hearts. I hope I've stirred your hearts to trust in a Father who loves us, to look at our lives and say, 
We want to flourish in the way that you say flourishing is, not in our little narrow ways. And I want to do one last thing as we take communion. I want to look at Jesus because he is the perfect example of what I'm preaching this morning, the perfect example. Not only do we trust God to make us flourish, we trust him with what true flourishing looks like, was the statement I read just now, what it looks like. Do you think on that night in Gethsemane that Jesus thought about the cross and thought, hmm, flourishing? Right? Do you think Jesus looked at it and thought, this looks like blessing? This looks like prosperity? Beautiful text in Romans 5 says, yes, Adam's one sin, one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Listen to this. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person, Jesus, obeyed God, many will be made righteous. All sin and brokenness came into the world because of Adam and Eve. But let's not blame them and every one of us since we said, I will do it my way. I know what I need to truly flourish, thank you God. I know what I need to be truly satisfied. I know what I need to be truly wise and it's that fruit, that's what I need. This is the sin, the original sin of Adam and Eve in the garden is not trusting God, saying I know what I need and it's that fruit and I'm gonna take it and it's mine. That's the original sin and we are doing that every day of our lives. But then one man, one savior, Jesus Christ, came and said, I will do it your way. It's exactly what he said in the gospels. Not my will. Not my will, which tells you that Jesus wanted to do something different. Not my will, but your will be done. He prays to his father. And in that moment, Jesus is saying, I trust you for true, redefined flourishing. I trust you for what prosperity looks like. I love the verse that later on says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. It's for joy. It's because he delights in what he's done. Do you think now that Jesus is pleased that he went to the cross? Great question to ask ourselves. Jesus, are you pleased? Jesus, were you pleased when you were facing it? Do we trust God in those moments where it's dark and we in our Gethsemane? Guys, I don't mean to be trivial. Even in the word I brought in worship around anxiety, man, I know this thing is hard. I'm not trying to paste over it with some faith brush and just pull yourself toward yourself not at all I'm trying to hold up for us a picture of the risen Jesus a picture of a God who sits on his throne as Bates was reading about and 
everyone falls down and says, holy, holy, holy. Everyone. That God is what we need to see. I want to call us to repentance. As a church, as individuals, where we've trusted other things, where we've looked to other things to flourish, If you're struggling to trust God this morning, I want to ask you to ask Him to forgive you and to help you. Father, I'm sorry that I haven't trusted you. I can see it here and here and here and here and the way I make a plan with my finance, there and there and there and there, and the way I do this here and here. Forgive me and help me. Maybe we're struggling with sin over and over again, the same sins, feeling despondent, feeling angry with ourselves. Repent. Ask him, to for, ask him to forgive you and ask Him to help you. And do it like this. I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. It's religion. I messed up. I need to call my dad. My dad who loves me, he knows. We obey because we are loved, not so that we are loved. If you obey God, you will flourish and live a blessed life far more abundantly than cheap blessedness. Lord Jesus, thank you for the example that we have in you. Thank you for the example that we have of one man who said, yes, I will obey you, though it kill me. And as we take that bread which reminds us of your body, And we take the blood which reminds us of your blood spilled for us. We want in our hearts to echo the same. We want to look at you, Jesus, and and model you and echo the same. Lord, if there be another way, but not my will, but yours be done. Not my intelligence, but your intelligence not my idea of prosperity or flourishing or whatever it may look like but yours in jesus name